Welcome to Season 2 of The Century Plan, a podcast designed to help you achieve better outcomes for your money. In Season 1, we delved into the science, history and philosophy behind financial planning. This season, we'll talk about the tools you can use to map out your financial journey from now to age 100. And we'll cover how to cope with unexpected changes. And we'll be talking with our guests about their own life experiences, which have led them to rethink their approach to planning. All this and more with Dennis Hall and Sarah Steele on The Century Plan. So this season we're talking about the tools of investing rather than the rules. Um, And in our last episode with Abraham, we talked a little bit about risk profiling questionnaires and and I think we've mentioned them a few times before as well. And we talk about why we don't like them and how they might even lead to suboptimal outcomes for investors. Uh, so if you've recently filled out one of these, this is going to be uh, an interesting episode for you. Well, I, I hope so, yes. I mean, they're the, probably the first pot of call for anyone who's going for investment advice. One of the pieces of paper that we laid in front of them is a risk profiling questionnaire. Um, it's a common tool for allegedly assessing an investor's risk tolerance, which is then used to create the investment strategy that supposedly aligns with their preferences, but they have several significant downsides and limitations. So I don't like using them. For one, I think they are quite subjective. Um, They're relying on that sort of self-reported information from an investor, and that's gonna be influenced by many things. Their mood, what might be happening in the markets at the time, personal biases from experiences. Um, And actually that can lead to inaccurate risk assessments and as you said earlier, that sort of inappropriate investment recommendations. And they're static. They tend to happen once at the beginning of the, of the exercise. Um, they might get asked for again if somebody wants to change that uh, something around their investments. But it, it's not a dynamic approach to anything. And they're limited. The questions tend to be around an investor's sensitivity to market volatility without considering all the other important factors that we want to bring into the equation, such as their financial goals, their time horizon, liquidity needs, i.e. their overall financial situation. And ignoring these actually results in a mismatch between what they need and what might be recommended. And I think what we find is there seems to be some herding that's going on. I don't know why it is, but most people seem to come out as a particular sort of risk profile. And I don't know whether that's people just following the crowd or just trying to answer these questions as though they're expected to answer them. And they're not even standard across institutions. There is no standard risk profiling questionnaire. So that can create some inconsistencies if if you go and talk to to one firm over another. And there's that uh, uh, emphasis on short-term risk. It's kind of, you know what are people looking at in the short term and I'm more concerned with their long-term goals and the different kinds of risks that then getting sort of included in in the equation like inflation and longevity risk and these aren't adequately addressed by these questionnaires and at the end of the day it's a questionnaire it does nothing to help inform the investor about what they need to do um, and, and even why the underlying investment strategy is right for them. It's just a, a lazy way, I think, of making um, decisions, poor decisions often, uh, that are driven 
to some extent, by regulatory and legal concerns. I mean, I recall being an advisor when there wasn't a financial services authority, or there was no regulation. Um, and a sort of this exercise came in to try and get some measurement of risk, or at least trying to match an investor's risk profile to some extent with their with their financial situation. But this is a poor way of doing it. And it's not even a regulator requirement to have a risk questionnaire of this format. Right. So you don't it's not something that the financial conduct authority say you have to do. Not no, not in this format. Okay. I think a lot of people think that it is. <laughs> it is and a lot of compliance departments. And it looks an incredibly easy tool, an incredibly easy thing to do to try and get standardization across um, a, a firm of advisors. We'll ask all our clients this questionnaire and they'll just come up with some answers which so they can then put them into sort of pre-populated portfolios. Yeah. Um, let's highlight a couple of points you've made there because they've cropped up before in our conversations. Um, I think one is about that herding mentality with most investors categorised as balanced investors, which I know our research indicates is suboptimal um, for, for many people. So what is suboptimal about a balanced portfolio? Well, I've said it before, there has been a dramatic shift in life expectancy in the 40 so years that I've been an advisor, but also a shift in the way that people fund their retirement. That old balanced portfolio might have worked once when people were retiring at 65 and probably being supported in the main by both state pension and an employer's final salary pension, and any savings they'd accumulated were probably for luxuries rather than necessities. So there's been a, a huge change, and that old balance portfolio doesn't meet the needs anymore, particularly as people are living longer. You know, that you can put at least a decade on the average lifespan, and I, I suppose the kind of people that I'm meeting are living even longer than that, well into their 90s. So we've analysed a lot of academic research and everything that we look at points to increasing the equity content of retirement portfolios. Yeah. Um, I was almost going to say that that's increasing the investment risk, but it, that would be wrong. Holding too much long-term money in cash or safer ass assets would be, would be riskier. The higher the equity content the better the long-term probability that your money will outlast you rather than the other way around. And portfolios shouldn't be constructed based purely on volatility, but they should be constructed based on financial goals and needs. And it should consider the time horizon alongside any short-term liquidity needs. Okay, so it's what we've been talking about before, we're coming back to it again, just to consider the long-term view. Always consider that. Yeah, always consider that long-term view rather than that just be driven by by short-term fluctuations, panics, volatility, what we've read in the newspaper today. Yeah. Um, we've mentioned capacity for loss before and, and Abraham last episode um, mentioned sequencing risk. The two sound related. What tools do you use to measure and protect investors? Uh... Well, we'll start with the first one, capacity for loss. Um, and in the context of investments, this is referring to an investor's ability to tolerate or absorb a financial loss without significantly impacting their overall well-being or their ability to meet those, those financial goals. It's critical. Um, 
in my view, is critical in determining the real risk tolerance and the appropriate investment strategy. So to deal with that, we would normally begin with cash flow modeling. And that essentially involves using some financial software to project future cash inflows, i.e. what's coming into the account, and outflows, what's going out, expenses, over a period of time. And for us, we would take that right through to age 100, perhaps. And this technique creates a sort of a detailed financial plan that looks at various sources of income, not just earned income, but retirement income, investment income. And it looks at expenses, um, returns from investments, returns from cash, taxes, and all other financial considerations, sort of when might there be some large capital events in the future. And the goal is really to try and create a model or a clear picture of a financial situation over time to help somebody make informed decisions about their goals and strategies. All right, so would it be fair to say that assessing an investor's capacity for loss is crucial for aligning their risk tolerance with their investment strategy? So if an investor takes on more risk than their capacity for loss allows, they might find themselves in a difficult financial situation if their investments decline significantly. But on the other hand, if an investor is too risk averse relative to their capacity for loss, they might miss out on potential returns which they need to achieve their financial goals. Yes. Yeah, so we're considering um, that capacity for loss along with their goals and their time horizon when designing the investment strategy. And this, I'll call it a rounded approach, aims to create a portfolio that is well suited to the individual's financial circumstances and objectives. Okay, well, Abraham also talked about sequencing risk. How does cash flow modelling deal with that? Uh, yes, sequencing risk. I forgot about that. Um, so it's also known as the sequence of returns risk. And this is referring to the potential negative impact of the timing of investment returns on someone's portfolio. Now, this is particularly during periods of withdrawal or in retirement. So that's why it's quite important to us. It's the risk that poor investment returns that occur early in retirement can significantly impact the sustainability of their investments and their ability to meet their financial needs over the long term. And early portfolio losses have lasting consequences due to the compounding effect. Compounding works really, really well for um, uh, if you're looking at interest rates and growth, but also in the negative. If there are losses in the early years, these can impact and increase over time. And cash flow modelling, for all its use, and it's the bit that we start with, doesn't really help with, with um, sequencing risk. It's assuming that everything grows in a straight line. Investment returns are X percent going forward, income increases, inflation increases, everything moving in a straight line. And as we're saying, sequencing risk says, uh, so what happens at the beginning of retirement, the markets fall, what is the impact of that long term going forward? So we use um, Monte Carlo modelling. Mm, okay, you've mentioned that before. I have. It's uh, again, it's, it's something that's built into the software that we use, um, a computational technique that sort of goes beyond simple averages. It considers a range of outcomes. Um, we would also take a look at the real rates of return achieved over the last 100 plus years and try and throw those into the model to back test anything that we're doing. 
to say that, yeah, so the markets go down, they go up, they go down. What does that look like for a person in real life if they're trying to withdraw their, their retirement income? And that's the bit that informs us how large a cash reserve or a safer pool of money needs to be because the last thing you want to be doing if the market falls is withdrawing capital. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's another piece of uh, financial modelling um, that can show people that despite the market falls, um, if we approach this correctly, that they will be able to have um, a relatively secure retirement. Nothing is guaranteed, of course. Um, but yeah, that's what we're really trying to do is get a better outcome for clients rather than just ask them about risk. Okay, so how would you summarise the work a financial planner does in relation to matching risk to portfolios? So we want to understand how hard does the money need to work, firstly. Yeah. What sort of risks does this expose you to? Can you afford the, those associated downsides of that risk? And if you can, what does the portfolio look like? So some very, that sounds very, very simple, but there's a lot of stuff that goes in into the back end of this to try and come up with something that isn't just saying, I'm a balanced investor because I don't like markets going up and down too much um, and ending up with a portfolio that, if we look at it, 20 or 30 years down the line, isn't going to be there. It's not going to last. In fact, I read something yesterday that said uh, something like the two thirds of people entering retirement don't have enough money to support the standard of life that they want. And, I th and I'm not sure whether that's uh, the, the fault of this leading people to take too, um, too safe uh, an approach with their investments. Okay, so beware the tick box exercise of risk profiling questionnaires. Absolutely.